0: what's up crown point how are we we're good I know are we good come on I um I was hoping Dustin would come out and we'd sing some more I don't I'm not joking I like I really that was powerful and uh, can we just thank our team for leading us in worship to the throne of Jesus so grateful for them And I also want to say a big hearty thank you to Pastor Steve for allowing me this privilege and invitation to come and to preach from Romans chapter 8. Even friends need help climbing the high peaks in life. And he's like, hey, I want you to come do this one. And so I just want to say thank you to him. Um, And uh, don't we love our pastor? You probably don't get a lot of opportunities for someone outside of, like, the campus to come in. No, you love your pastor. Come on now. like, yeah. So. Grateful, grateful for what God's doing here. Um, Romans chapter 8 is where we'll be, verse 26. But as you're turning there, I wonder, have you ever, have you ever really, really wanted to connect with somebody, but situations were outside of your control and it, it failed? You just had this desire to connect with someone. I, uh, I, I remember when Kristen and I, Kristen's my wife, we've been married, they'll go 10 years this year. It's a big one. It's been a good 10 years, best 10 years of my life. I'm not sure about her, but best for me. And when we were dating, uh, just over 10 years ago, she did a summer where she worked at a church in Nairobi, Kenya. Yeah. So that was awesome for our relationship. Because I'm like not at all awkward on the phone. And um, we had this technology back in the day. It was brand new. We thought it was like the coolest thing in the world. It was called Skype. And we were like, here's what's going to save our relationship is this software. And you put it on your computer, I'll put it on mine, and we'll talk to each other. And So we did the math of how far apart. I don't even remember. It was like 10 a.m. where I was and maybe 6 p.m. where she was. And um, we would log on to Skype. In Nairobi, it's a pretty civilized area that she had internet. But it was like, I mean, it goes to space and then it gets transferred back to here. So it goes through phone wires and all that stuff. And, and um, I, I, every single time we would talk, here's how it go. We'd log on. I don't know why in my mind I'm doing the AOL noise, but it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> we'd log on, and she'd arrive, bloop, and we'd, we'd click the thing, and I'd go, hello! And she'd go, ha, eh, eh, eh. <laughs> <laughs> like every time 10 a.m. would roll around, I'd like find a quiet spot to sneak away and like talk to my girl. And all I'd be greeted with was this frustrating experience where like we didn't have enough signal. Had the heart to connect, but couldn't connect with her heart. How many of you have ever tried to uh, connect with somebody else, Situations, circumstances weren't really in your favor, so you decided to take circumstances into your own hands? I'm looking at you guys. Had your eye on that lady in college. And you had some smooth-talking pickup lines. Hey, baby, I'm no photographer, but I could picture me with you. (laughs) Are you a magician? Because every time I see you, everyone else disappears. (laughs) I don't know if you're like, like, that's a romantic gesture or not, or if you're like, this is church, this is inappropriate. Here's a church one, okay? Um, Hey, God must be missing one of his angels because here you are. Again, I've never I've never done a wedding that started in a relationship where one of these lines were, were, were used. Okay, we have a heart to connect sometimes, but we just don't have the words. Guys, don't don't use those. Okay, don't. I'm at the coffee over there, going like, "Hey, magician!" No, just stop. Okay, <laughs> it's not. When I was growing up, I had a friend who used to call out moments of connection when it like when it actually happened. It's an amazing thing. Like when you actually have a conversation of understanding and empathy with somebody else. She would have a conversation with one of her friends. Afterwards, she'd like call it out. She'd call attention to the fact that they connected. She would go, hey, we just had a heart to heart. And often I'd hear her go, hey, we had a heart to heart, a heart to heart. It was this special moment, the special time of actually being known and understood and empathized with so so that you kind of knew what it was like to actually relate to one another. Heart to heart. And what makes a heart-to-heart so special is it feels great to know you're known and understood, but it's also a special moment because moments like this, if we're honest, rarely happen. Husbands and wives who have kids, to have a heart-to-heart with one another might require a babysitter, an uncrowded restaurant with a server who doesn't interrupt you every six minutes. And even then, if conditions are perfect, you may not connect heart-to-heart. It's such a a hard thing for us to connect on a heart-to-heart level. But I'm curious, have you ever wanted to connect with God at a heart-to-heart level? But it doesn't seem to be working because conditions are never perfect and you feel like you don't have the words to say. Nothing in life could be more painful than those moments when you feel far from God. God. And I find in my life just personally pastoral role aside just as a Christian those moments when I'm suffering those moments when life is not going the way I prefer it to go and I wouldn't choose my circumstances if at that moment I feel like like I'm not able God to connect with your heart I feel like I'm on an island I feel like I'm forgotten I feel like there's a problem the passage of scripture that we come to today in Romans chapter 8 verse 26, it directs our attention to how we know we're connecting with God in a way that is truly heart to heart. You see, because uh, for us to connect to growing heart to heart with God, we don't need more bars of service and we don't need smooth talking pickup lines. We need something that is actually provided for us already, hardwired into you that goes all the way down to a soul level. This is one of the beauties of Romans chapter 8 is that God shows us his undying love for us that we could relate to him heart to heart. So, uh, Crown Point, you all with me today? Yeah. Hey, everybody up there, you with me? Let's, let's dig in. I want to read this before we seek to understand its meaning. Verse 26, likewise, the spirit, that's what we're talking about today, just say the spirit, everybody say the spirit. there's any question about the, the 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 topic of today the main object today in this passage it is the spirit the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words it's always a good lesson for us to have the context of the verse that we're jumping into and so uh, as we've been traversing Romans chapter 8, verse 18 through 25 over the past two weeks, Paul has been proving that the entirety of creation, days one through five of creation, are subjected to futility as a result of sin, and that they're suffering, groaning, as it were, awaiting the adoption, uh, the revealing of the adoption of sons, uh, that, that, that we have this world that is in uh, disorder, waiting for it to be put back together. But then Paul makes the case to say that in looking in concentric circles, not just creation, but if we zoom in a little bit, we get to the family of God is groaning. Believers are groaning. Even though we have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly waiting for this adoption. Amen. We're waiting, we're groaning, yearning for God to reveal His glory, yearning for God to bring about all that it is uh, to be in right relationship with Him and right relationship with creation. And then Paul pulls us even tighter into focus, even further into ourselves, not just in the family of God. Here in verse 26, he's talking very specifically, very individually, very um, molecularly in the scheme of things to the personal experience. Paul has gone from creation, that which I see, to the family of God, that which I uh, belong to as an adopted heir of God, but then individually to my own very essence, my heart. In there, he says, it's also the spirit that groans inside of me. So many pastors have picked up on the three groans, one glory approach to this text. And we get that because we see the word likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness, but... um, Paul is not actually pulling verse 26 to relate to verses 18 through 25. If you do the work, you you dig in, you realize that what we got to do is we got to look all the way back up, scroll up in your phones or on the page to see verse 16. This is the flow of thought. Notice Paul is trying to show us what the Spirit does. Here's what he says The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. Pastor Steve called this the adoption agency. We're, the Spirit is the adoption agency by which we enter into the family of God. And that's what the Spirit's doing. Adopting us, bearing witness, testifying, showing us the documents that we are indeed adopted children of God. And if children, then heirs and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also might be glorified with him. And then, Paul, to make this clear, the Spirit helps us, even though we're suffering today, he says... This is all true because we're united with Christ who has all power, but he himself suffered on his way to glory. And so creation suffers and humanity suffers, expressing it in groans. And lest you feel forgotten upon this rock that God maybe came 2,000 years ago, died, ascended into heaven, and then left us to be just in our own faith, he says, no, likewise the spirit intercedes himself with groanings too deep for words ask most christians what the role of the holy spirit is in their life and they can answer it no more accurately than if you had asked them what their tonsils are for like i know i have tonsils my degree's in the bible okay so if you're medical forgive me but let me just tell you a secret i don't i don't actually know where they are <laughs> are they here yeah See, you're like, someone's Googling it right now. Just quit it. Uh, I don't know what my tonsils do. Some of you had your tonsils sucked out when you were kids. Uh, I, I don't know how I would know when my tonsils weren't working for me. All I know is that apparently I have them and it's helping me. And so I don't really make a big fuss about it. Actually, it wasn't until I sat down thinking about this that I actually considered my tonsils probably for the first time in a very, 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 very long time. But ask Christians, hey, what's the spirit doing in your life? And they go, well, I don't know. I know I have the spirit. Don't know where he is. I think it's just in me and making me a better person. So I'm just not going to fuss about it. Him. It. Him. Is his name holy? What what do I call him? The Holy Spirit. Romans 8 verse 26 and 27 tells us that um, everything we know about God and his work in our life can be reoriented by the spirit he's the adopter he's the witness that we are God's children but he is also our helper I just want to take these two verses Romans 26 and 27 and just show three attributes of the spirit it's very simple outline today I'm a very simple guy this is a very complex text so simplicity is helpful Um, I just want to look at the first topic here is the, the the idea of the spirit's help Helping is exactly what Jesus said the Spirit would do. In John 14, Jesus told his disciples that after he completed his work on the cross, after he rose from the dead, and after he ascended into heaven, he would send the Helper to be with us. He would send the Spirit. This is John 14, verses 16 through 18. Check this out. Look at at what it says. It says, I will ask the Father, he will give you another, what's this word? Their helper, that's the Spirit, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot be received uh, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. And doesn't this next part kind of sound like Romans 8, 15, 16? I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Right, The Spirit comes and adopts us. Not, not leaving us as orphans, but adopting us into the presence, into the family of God. That's what he does. He's the helper. Uh, later in John 14, the helper will teach us all the things about the gospel, will bring to remembrance all the teachings of Jesus In John 15, the helper testifies about Jesus. He's always pointing us back to Jesus and the work of Jesus to help us exalt Jesus. In John 16, the helper convicts us of our sins and reminds us of Jesus' sacrifice. So this is the help that the Holy Spirit provides for us. He resides within us. He teaches us, reminds us, testifies, adopts, convicts us so that our attention is transfixed upon Jesus' majesty and glory. In Romans... Paul uses the word that we just translated in English to say the spirit helps us in our weakness, but that word help is way more dynamic in Greek than it actually is in English. It's a a word made up of three parts, and and here's what it is. It's it's, um, together with, over against, to take. Maybe that doesn't help you. It's a picture of a person pushing a car up a steep hill, struggling on their own, unable to do it, so that, another person has to come with them and take a hold of the heavy load with them. And together they overtake the hill, get in the car where they want it to go. We are people who want to progress in our relationship with God, but without the spirit, we are weak. And so the spirit comes to lend a helping hand. Now, you're all looking at me so engaged and polite, but I can see some of you are like, okay, so how, how, I don't really get this. Um, When I was in high school, I, I had a job throughout the summers. I was a 16-year-old. I was a very immature 16-year-old. And I worked at a car wash. And I was uh, one of the car wash guys with another guy. He was 65 years old. I think today he would be diagnosed with OCD. I didn't know that then. Um, And his name was John, and I loved to push John's buttons. Yeah, I was that guy. I was that guy. John was particular about how to wash a car. Maybe some of you wives have husbands who are particular about how to wash a car. John would always tell me every single day, he'd say, Danny, he'd call me Danny. Don't call me Danny. I've got a lot of spirit in me, but I also have something else. And so that comes out when you call me Danny. But uh, he, goes, he goes, Danny, you start on the roof, and then you work your way down the sides, and you do the lids, and then you do the bumpers, and then you go get a different sponge, and you do the tires because there's a lot of grime, on, and then you wash it off. And then you wipe it down, you start on the roof, you go on the sides, you go to the hoods, you go to the bumpers, then you do the tires. Well, I learned very quickly that if I took the steps out of order, John would do my job for me. I would do this, I would get a sponge and I would wipe the tires. Don't look at me like that. (laughs) I was cleaning the car as fast as I knew how. And then I would go from the tires to the hood. Yeah, I I heard you groan. John would flip. He would go, whoa, 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 whoa. Danny, go, wait, just wait. Doing it wrong. He'd go, watch me. Watch me so you can learn, is what he said. I said, I'm sorry, John. I'm just trying to do this as fast as I possibly can. He goes, you're doing it wrong. Just watch me wash this car. You can do the next one which as a 16-year-old was awesome. Stood back, watched John do my work for me. The next car would come in. I'd pick up the sponge, start on the tires. Whole process would rinse, wash, and repeat. Literally. I know. I know. Millennials. <laughs> We're the worst. <laughs> being lazy, being manipulative, entitled. And isn't that how we sometimes approach the Spirit? Entitled to the progress, manipulative with our actions and our attitudes, and quite frankly, just spiritually lazy. What I love about the fact that Paul tells us that the Spirit comes together with over against to take up is that it means that he doesn't just do our job for us. He comes alongside of us to help us do it. Christians, um, you do not purchase your salvation from anything you do, amen? It is by faith alone. But, But the Spirit comes not to just overtake us. Listen, God will sanctify you through his spirit it is a guarantee but you know what is true about all this it's a lot easier when you do it too when you know the spirit and are sensitive to the spirit's health and are dependent upon the spirit Amen. we are weak that's what paul says we have this inordinate dependence upon god we are weak people i know people that don't think they're weak I had coffee the other day with a guy who said, you know, I don't need your God. My career is as best as it's ever been. My wife is very attractive. My kids are obedient and my house is big. It's the first time I'd ever heard that. On the whole, I think we're kind of weak people. We are weak and we wonder, what is this weakness that Paul is talking about? The weakness is our humanity, our frailty. It's our inability to ex- exercise faith, to extend grace, to experience reconciliation, or even to exalt Christ properly. It's our inability to relate to God heart to heart. And so the Spirit comes and helps us. And in doing so, he helps us with the totality of God's divine power at his disposal to come alongside, to dwell inside of us, to become our helper. This is always what God does. He takes the weak and he lifts them up. He takes the vulnerable and he offers them a shield around them. He takes the suffering. He gives them endurance to make it through the trial. This is Isaiah 41 verse 10. I go all over the Old Testament for this one, but I just give you a couple. God says, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. This is Psalm 54, verse four. It says, behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. I go to Psalm 46. I go to Psalm one. I could go all over the Psalms and make the point that God helps us. But, but here's the point is that God, his heart is desiring to help us. If you don't hear that today, you have a picture of a God who has abandoned you when reality, what Scripture is telling us, what Paul tells us, that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The heart of God has been reaching out to the heart of man to be our helper. Amen. Not our condemner. Right. Not our divider. Our help <laughs> in our time of trouble. And that thought alone is worthy of Of our hearts being warmed and comforted, that God sent His Spirit to dwell in us that we might experience His help. Romans 8 26, Paul tells us of the Spirit's help, but he does, does show us telling us a special type of help. If you look back at verse 26 with me, he says, We don't know what to pray for as we ought. And I find this to be personally and pastorally true. In times of trouble, I rarely have words. Even in good times, I seldom feel like I'm praying for what I ought to be praying for. I've sat with couples, I've sat with Christians and asked them, How can I pray for you? The number one answer is, I don't know. On just a practical level, nobody has ever answered me specifically saying, Well, I have a prideful heart that demonstrates in a controlling behavior towards my wife, and I tend to be harsh with her. So on weekdays, when I come home from work, we'd be praying that the fruit of the Spirit, namely love, patience, and gentleness, may be manifest in my life, that otherwise is explosive in my heart. I've never had somebody do that. In fact, if you came to me and you're like, hey, I specifically want you to pray these things for me, I'd be like, okay, go slower, dude. This is good stuff. There's a backswing thought that I have in the same moment, though, of, in that specificity, how do you know that's what you need? I'm not trying to mess with your confidence in prayer. I'm actually going to try to encourage it. Um, but how do you know that what you're asking God for is what you actually need? Have you ever had that moment in life? I know Kristen and I have had this moment so many times where we thought God was you know, opening a door of opportunity or, or, or opening an opportunity for a relationship to be restored with somebody or, or whatever it was, we just sensed that God had a direction for some steps we needed to take in our lives. And so we were praying towards that end and, and, and all of a sudden that opportunity, that, that door slammed in our face and we were confused by that to say, God, why, why, why did we feel so much like this is what you wanted from us only to have that be shut off? And you know what has almost happened every single time we've seen that happen? Unexplained blessing, unexplained opportunity to see how much better God's way is than what I was praying for in the first place. Amen. How many times I have thought I was praying for something that I knew God wanted and yet he didn't give it to me only to do something else and envy something else. I see how good and wise and sovereign God is. It's part of what Paul is saying. We don't know what we need to pray for. Like, like what if you're praying for wisdom, but what you actually need is patience? And what if you're praying for opportunities to share the gospel, but what you actually need is courage? We don't know what it is to pray for the right things. And so, praise be to God, his spirit helps us to pray. And he does so by taking our feeble prayers and praying something more glorious over them than anything we can muster up. I want to look at the second item that Paul shows. Just the prayer of the Spirit. What is the Spirit's prayer? Look at what he says. He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Spirit is interceding for us. He intercedes. It's simply a word that means to go between, to mediate, to uh, be an advocate. You may call it that, but when you advocate to God, it's intercession, it's prayer. And the Spirit is praying for us from the depths of our soul, interceding for me with groanings, with words that are inaudible. I can't hear. In um, 1880, Today, Charles Spurgeon preached this text to his London congregation. I feel like I'm in good company. And this is what he said. He observed this. He said, talking about groanings, is that a man's heart is moved when he groans. A groan is a matter about which there is no hypocrisy. A groan does not come from the lips, but it comes from the heart. When we look at the Spirit himself interceding for us with groanings too deep for words we realize that it's not the spirit bringing about lip service to our pain it's the spirit feeling the pain with us and asking God to do something about it knowing our weaknesses and asking God to strengthen us so you can fake praise you can fake sickness but you can't fake a groan a groan it transposes pain and sorrow suffering and despair onto the hearts of the hearers so that we feel it with them and when the Spirit groans, He's feeling with us. There's an um, awkward ways that, way that this is translated into English, and I want to just dive into this for a moment. Some take issue with the idea that the Holy Spirit would groan, so they try and humanize this verse, saying, That the spirit intercedes for us and the result of his intercession is not that the spirit groans, but rather that we groan as a result of his intercession. And it groans in an unintelligent groan and it amounts to some sort of spirit language. Like a grace that God gives us to pray, even when we're so distraught that we don't have words, that God gives us groans. And the consequence of this type of teaching is that People are told apparently true prayer is in the language of the Spirit, which is expressed by unintelligible utterances, these groans. And entire churches are founded upon this idea, which is why I bring it up. And I would be the first to tell you that I am charismatically sympathetic, but we can't get that teaching from Romans chapter 8, verse 26. We have to be good students of Scripture. Uh, because while shades of that meaning of that spiritual language might be present in other places in the Bible, it's not present here. But Paul is actually trying to, case, to make the case uh, that the spirit's groans are not necessarily uh, unintelligent nonsense, but that they're inaudible. Like they're unspoken. You can't hear them. I believe that because when he says creation groans, I also don't hear creation groaning audibly. I know that it's an unspoken groan, a pain. Creation groans in earthquakes and volcanoes. And if a tree falls in a forest and no one's around to hear it, does it suffer? I don't think it's too much to say that the spirit groans. Paul's using the metaphor here. He's 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 telling us that the Spirit sympathizes with us in our weakness. And in his groaning, he is transposing our prayers into the language of God that we don't even have words for. Amen. Not that we have to uh, utter the symbols or, or the syllables, but that... He's taking my words as feeble as they are when I don't know what to pray, when I don't even know that what I think I know I should pray for is even the right thing to pray for. He's taking it all and he's taking the pressure off of me and he's interceding for me on my behalf with groanings too deep for words. So if it's not about a spirit language, what is the spirit's intercession for us? I think I just kind of covered it a little bit. It means that when we pray, you and I don't have to feel sweaty about getting the words right. Amen. Amen. I hope this is freeing for you today. Yes. I've sat with grown men in my office who I sit down and they want to talk to me about some problem in their marriage and, and, and they come and I say, well, well, let's pray. Would you pray for us? And they say, no, I don't know how to. And I, this is a bad game of ping pong to play with me because I win this game every time. <laughs> they throw it back at me. They go, pastor, you're a pastor. You've got your degree in prayer. You do it. Don't be lazy, Pastor. Don't manipulate me, Pastor. Let's go. You pray. And I say, Joe, just a simple prayer would be fine. Just a, a sentence telling God what you like him to do. They say, Well, I've never been asked to pray out loud. I don't even think I have the words. And I say, Joe, you have the words. Let's have some faith. Amen. And they pray. And these prayers, I guess, this is in my notes, but these prayers. These prayers that these guys pray in these moments, they go like this. They go, um God, stuff's really messed up. I don't know how to fix it. I need your help. Amen. That's right. Amen. And what is the Spirit doing in that moment? He's taking that heart's cry, translating it in groanings too deep for words that we don't hear, we don't see it, we don't feel it, but He's asking God to send help so we can go to God with confidence knowing that what we tell God that's on our heart, what we tell him is on our heart. We ask him to show us what's on his heart. The spirit takes my paltry words and connects me to God in prayer. For lack of a better word, he cleans up my prayer and connects me to God heart to heart. That's what the spirit's doing. Kevin's with me. One other person's with me. The, other, the rest of you are like, how does this work? And so I'll share a little story so i've got three kids they're ages five four and two and i feel your prayers but i need them more (laughs) okay and uh my daughter when she was born she mastered the english language in six weeks she knew all of everything It was incredible and she even explained to me the mystery of the trinity the other day she explained to me that the holy spirit's first name is holy so you just have to call him holy my sons, Miles, who's age four, and Graham, who's age two, they didn't get that. In fact, they've gone this extended amount of time, four years and two years, both of them speaking like cavemen. No mastery of anything except for like water. They can like move water from cup to cup. That's about it. And I remember Miles when he was uh, two years old, when he had just started to speak, he spoke like a minion from Despicable Me. So <laughs> a bunch of beeps and boops and I was like, I got nothing, bro. He, he, we would stand in our kitchen. Kristen and I, Miles would be looking at us, and he knew everything that was going on in his mind. He knew how the world worked and what he needed, or what he wanted, and he would scream, "Mama, Dada, da, da, siga, papa, da, 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 da." My wife and I, being rational humans that we were, we would shout back at him, "What do you want?" Stop jumping up and down! You're making me nervous. I I kid you not, Miles would get so angry. We we thought that he was a demon child. He would get so angry that and so frustrated in these moments because he knew what he wanted. He just didn't. We didn't know his language, and so he would leave the room furious. To the point that Kristen and I, honestly, we would go to bed some nights going, "Are we the like? Are we bad at this? Why did? Why did? What? What do we do?" Fortunately, Miles grew up, and how he learned the English language, I have no idea. But we have another son, Graham, and Graham is every bit of minion as Miles. Even to the point of last night, you know, I've been I've been watching my kids the past couple of days. My wife's been doing some some things, and I I was watching my kids <clears throat> like the superhero dad that I am. <laughs> yesterday, I mean, I've, I've got this message all printed out, ready to go. And yesterday, I'm sitting in, in the kitchen, and Graham comes up to me, and Graham's got two syllables, ooh and ba. We're watching a lot of basketball right now, and he goes, uba. I go, you want to watch basketball? Yeah. <laughs> he goes, uba. I go, you want Michigan State to win? He goes, no. I go, oh. Uba, you want a cereal bar? Yeah, it's the same word. (laughs) Ba-u is basketball hoop, so that's cool. And then he knows perfectly the word dunk, so I see where his future's going. (laughs) He comes into the kitchen yesterday, and he's going, uba, uba, uba. And I'm like, what? You want? I'm pointing at things. You want a bottle? You want a cereal bar? You want pretzels? What do you want? And, and, and Graham starts going all miles on me. He starts jumping up and down. Uba, 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 And I'm getting to this dark place in my heart as a dad. You know that place? It's a, it's a wicked place. And I'm getting there. I'm frustrated. I'm sweating. I'm like, oh, my goodness. I'm going to just, like, lose it. Where's my wife right now? And it was in that moment that I actually had someone better. I had a secret weapon. Do you know who I had? miles <laughs> miles walks in the kitchen and graham's going and then miles walks to the refrigerator he's four he opens it up i go miles do you know what graham's going he points he goes Daddy he wants some apple juice <laughs> when he said it graham goes yeah God is not in need of an interpreter for us in our paltry language. It's not that God can't unscramble our code. The problem lies with us in our weakness, that we can't get into his language in the first place. We need help. This is why the Spirit is praying for us, interceding with groanings too deep for words, empathizing with us in our brokenness, beseeching God to do something about it. It's the incarnational prayer of Jesus when he likewise sympathized with us in our weakness. He cried out, thy kingdom come to earth. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want that reality. The spirit is helping us pray that prayer, which means when we bring God our burdens, we know he's hearing them come through loud and clear. And he's present in the midst of them. And God's spirit is a comfort. The spirit, his prayer is a comfort. He's helping us connect our hearts to God's heart in prayer and verse 27 tells us why this works you all love verse 28 it's on a mug in your house somewhere you got it embroidered or crocheted on a pillow I want you to get that out of there and put verse 27 on the mug I'll take a mug too look at what it says He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So you got a little bit of work to do when your friends come over and they are like, what's up with your mug, dude? It's a little weird. Who's searching hearts and why is the mind of the spirit there and what's up with the will of God? And why do you have this on a mug? Why is this so important to you? But I want, I want you to see this. This verse shows us the Spirit's success. The Spirit's guaranteed success. Paul's showing us the, the Spirit's help and the Spirit's prayer, but here he shows us the Spirit's success. How effective is the Spirit in interceding for us on our behalf? Perfectly effective. He intercedes according to the will of God every time. Amen. And my prayers are not always answered. Are yours? No is the answer. We know this even the apostles. Paul had a thorn in his flesh that three times he pled with the Lord to remove. And then came back the answer. It's not my will. Even Paul's prayers weren't answered. But the Spirit's prayers are always answered with yes. Yes. Because the Spirit indeed intercedes for saints according to the will of God. On the surface, this might seem rather obvious. The one who searches hearts, that's God the Father. He knows what is the mind of the Spirit. because That's that's because God is one in three persons. The Father, the Son, and Holy. And he knows the mind of the Spirit. Such that the Spirit will always pray towards the unified goal of the Godhead. So God knows hearts, He surely knows the mind of the Spirit, and to know what is the mind of the Spirit is to approve what is in the mind of the Spirit. So we can trust that the Spirit is perfect in his prayer content. But there's something else we might overlook. I've I've read this a lot. This is a ridiculously grand thought. I, I came all the way today just to tell you this. I'm really excited about it. When Paul says the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God, I've always considered it this way: that The Spirit interceded the same way Jesus was praying in the garden when he said, you know, Father, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And if I added that line to my prayers, it meant that I would be just like Jesus, praying according to the will of God. And friends, that's a really good thing for us to do, to remind ourselves that our prayers are our prayers, and that we always need to be coming to God, asking him to help us. And asking in your name, if this is your will, would you let this happen, is a very appropriate way for us to pray. But just to think that that's what the Spirit is doing, just tagging on this little phrase, like, in your will, is missing the point. Paul's not telling us about the content of the prayer. He's telling us about the purpose for which the Spirit is praying. Paul is highlighting for us that it is God's will that the Spirit would intercede for the saints, The Spirit's not just praying according to God's will, it is according to God's will that the Spirit is praying. Do you see it? It is God's intended purpose, God's intended foreordained plan that not just that he would send his Son into the world to die on the cross, to rise from the dead, to conquer sin and death and to resurrect a new life and ascend into heaven, but also simultaneously that God would send his Spirit to this earth to make intercession for his saints from this earth. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're so excited. I'm, I appreciate that. But, but our ladies who studied in Women of the Word, which is an awesome ministry here in our church, you just studied Hebrews chapter 7 this past week, which verse 25 says, the, it's the, the beautiful truth about Jesus Christ, whoever lives to make intercession for the saints on our behalf. The author of Hebrews, Paul, Tells us, that's a joke, that was a bad joke. The author of Hebrews tells us that uh, Jesus is in heaven right now, going between right. us and God in the very throne room which he rules the universe from, Amen. which is a comfort to our hearts to know that the one who made sacrifice for my sins is in the presence of God praying on my behalf for my good and, my, for, and for his glory. But here, yeah, yeah, amen, amen. But how much better is it, friends, to know that we don't just have an advocate who is in the throne room of heaven interceding for us, whose name is Jesus Christ, the exalted Son of God? We have an advocate who is not just in heaven, but here on earth, dwelling in the midst of us, present today with us, beseeching God on our behalf to do his mighty, glorious, sanctifying work in our hearts and our lives, such that people look at us and see God's glory. We have it. Today, and it is not just hype, it is the actual will of God. Yeah. <laughs> which means, which means, I gotta catch my breath. I'm out of shape. What, me, what this means is that God cares. Like you might be suffering now and feel like God's far from you, but he has baked it into the program. He's built it into the system. He's he's hardwired into our souls that when we come to faith in Jesus, His Spirit has a spot. Yes. It's a throne in our heart that He comes and He intercedes for us in the middle of. Friends, when you feel like you're an island, when you feel like you don't have a connection, when you feel like you don't have words, that's okay. Like take the pressure off for a moment. There is no judgment in our prayers. We can pray more informed prayers, sure. But even the most informed human prayer needs the Spirit, and the Spirit is there to help. And here's how this looks as I close. Is there, like, another service happening or something? A few days ago, I was in the hospital at St. Mary's with a family from the HP campus. Their dad had just passed away. He was 68 years old. I don't say this flippantly. He was a great man. And around the bed sat his, his wife, very much in shock. Uh, friends and relatives had gathered who had visited him daily for weeks, praying for him, pleading with God. I myself was one of them. I know what Paul meant when he said that we don't have words to pray as we ought. Because in that moment, I did what you do when you suffer. I I led the family to cry out to God. I I said to them, in this moment right now, can we just talk to the Lord? And they all said, yes. And I said, okay, let's pray. And I had this moment. I went. And I, I found myself so in pain that I didn't have the words Started on my mouth and I stopped. I, I wanted so much for them to feel the amazing comfort of heaven's hope for those who have faith, the victory of Christ over death, the fact that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. I mean, I have words, this service is proof. I have words to say, but I didn't have mom, the prayer, I didn't have words to pray at that moment. And so I believed God. And in this moment, I finally believed and took him at his word and said out loud, God, I don't know what to pray right now. Friends, that's a great prayer. God, I don't know what to pray right now. This hurts so much. God, it feels like this finality is eternal. It feels like we'll never get out of this hospital room the same. It feels like bright days aren't ahead. These are all the things that my soul is groaning for and yet all I could say was, God, I don't have words to pray. And so would you be our comfort? Would you be our hope? Would you be our god i prayed simple words i said amen we lifted our tear-filled eyes and our heads i'll never forget the man's widow looked up to her ki- her kids and said guys we're gonna be okay amen. i have peace I'm not that eloquent of a speaker to be able to elicit that response from a grieving widow. I'm not even that compassionate of a pastor. You want Gary Butler. (laughs) What was that but the spirit of God taking my feeble words and coming together and connecting our heart to God's heart. In the moment of weakness we cried out, God we don't have words, would you still love us and care for us and connect with us? So we say I may be weak, but his spirit is strong in me, helping, praying, fulfilling his will in my life, regardless of my lame attempts to manipulate or bend his will to my way. So Christians, the way to glory is suffering, but take heart. Creation groans, but only for glory, and we are groaning, but only for adoption, and the Spirit is groaning, but only for the will of God to happen in our lives. No wonder the next verse says that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are according to, called according to His purpose. Because we have the help of the Spirit interceding within us, we know our hearts are growing more like God's heart.